Forget about Proposition 8. This is Preparation H, broadcasting from Gitmo Nation East in the United Kingdom. I'm Adam Curry. And I'm John C. DeVore, Cup here in northern Silicon Valley. Hey, John, how you doing? Okay. How was your Thanksgiving? Your Thanksgiving? It was good. Yeah, what'd you do? Uh, well, we had to, unfortunately, we're going to have Thanksgiving next weekend because I couldn't get up to Washington. <laughs> so we had separate Thanksgivings because Aww. of the price of the airline tickets. And meanwhile, all the air, all the news coverage was, oh, nobody went anywhere. Nobody went, uh, you know, the airports were empty and they were. There was like nobody traveling and they were moaning and blaming on the economy. I'll, I'll tell you what to blame it on. $500 airline fares with that were normally $65. That's what to blame it on. These guys are idiots. <laughs> Oh, I love it when you're like that. Hey, so wait a minute. So did you celebrate by yourself uh, in, the, in the Bay Area and, and the family was up in Seattle? Yeah, basically. Oh, did you have no one to celebrate with? No, actually, we uh, one of the guys that we were uh, sponsoring in law school, who my wife calls our our fourth son. Oh, gee, uh, uh-huh. he just moved moved down here, and so I I brought him over and uh, and fed him. Did you make turkey? No, no, I had pheasant. Ah, oh, oh, that's sad, John. That's that's a that, that's a real bummer when you can't hang oh, out with your family. The pheasant was great. Nah, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> except from the pheasant's perspective. No, it actually but... forced my wife to have to do the whole the whole meal. You know, I had to walk her through a couple of things, but for the most part, she did it. She <laughs> she nailed it. She just, she finally discovered that if you use a thermometer on a turkey, you can probably get the temperature right and cook perfectly. Oh, uh, I like those pop up uh, warning buttons. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so one of the things that uh, was floating around here, though, which uh, w- I go to the store to get the pheasant. I figure yeah. it's the economic collapse. I might as well have pheasant, and what 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 to make it even more uh, decadent? Cake, Cake. <laughs> <laughs> truffles. Ooh, nice. Yeah. So there's Excellent. a bunch of off-season truffles that came in, and they were dirt cheap. I mean, hmm. and they were good, solid black ones. And I, the woman that brought them in over at the store, local store, uh, they came from Honduras. Hmm. Now, they've had truffles. Obviously, the best truffles come from France and Italy. But then there's a lot of them coming in from Oregon. But the Oregon ones are kind of mushy, and, they're, and they, you have to deal with them in all kinds of weird ways to to make them acceptable. These are just like a French truffle. And they so were like, what, what is the, uh, the truffle market or what was it before the, uh, the economic malaise? Because these things were quite expensive and they're basically, uh, what is it? It's like a root that's uh, under the earth that has to be uncovered by either a pig or a dog. Is that the basic idea? It's like a, it's like a fungus. And so uh-huh. and for, oh, yeah, it's, it's a fungus. A, that's right. Yeah. It's a ball. It's a little ball, and it looks very distinctive looking. And they get to any number of sizes. I remember going to... Um, Alan Ducasse's restaurant in New York once when it was Truffle Week, hmm. and uh, they brought out these truffles in a, a big box, and they opened the they went to each table individually, and they opened the box and showed you these three truffles that I swear, each one of them they were white truffles from Italy, each one of them was the size of a softball. They and were what, is it, and what do they cost? What do they cost? Or those probably time? cost about five thousand dollars a piece. My but uh, but for a were, fungus. Yeah, it's a fungus. Uh, it's very aromatic. Yeah, but but and still five grand. Very dense. Well, no, those are the big softball ones. You don't see those. I've never seen truffles like that in my life. Why are they so expensive? Is that just because of the are no, they scarce? Is it rarity or what is it? Yeah, they're hard to find, and they're you know they only grow under certain oak trees. And once you dig one up, you can't you know they don't propagate. It's not like uh, cork, you know, you can just harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't Boy, know. we learned so much on this show from from cork to truffles. <laughs> so the uh, no, I mean typically a little truffle the size. If you got one the size of a golf ball, uh-huh. uh, which would be a big truffle. You know these other ones that I was talking about. This restaurant were ludicrous, but if you got one uh, the size of a golf ball, which would be a big truffle, uh, you um, you'd probably pay about I'm guessing around 150 bucks for it, something like wow. that. Wow, yeah, that's a lot. Now these were were small. They were the size of uh, they were small. I mean, they were but they were bigger than than I would expect for the price. And you got two of them. They're, for they're more like test, testicle size, is what I'm guessing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it depends on you know if you got what well, anyway. So um, <laughs> they were like nine dollars. Wow, that's, that's that, so I bought a bunch of them. I said, "Geez, this is like ridiculous." I mean, I've never seen this price before. Even the ones from Oregon cost more than that. And so I guess somebody found some truffles in Honduras uh, and some oak trees, and here we go. And do you think there's a, a flavor difference between uh, the five thousand dollar softball truffle and the nine dollar Honduras testicle size truffle? Yeah, yeah, the the five thousand dollar one is better, much better. Yeah, I mean, you can, can we can we grow these? I mean, is is, is that a, that sounds no. like a fantastic business? Impossible to grow. So anyway, that when this place, let's imagine one of the bigger restaurants that we one of the bigger restaurants that we've been to, uh, like um, let's take a, the, the like the Ritz Carlton in San Francisco and put yourself in one corner of the restaurant and then go to the complete opposite corner. Mm-hmm. When they when I was at Alan Ducasa's and they had this box of truffles, I I, I was that far away when the guy at some other table that far away opened the box and, and could I smell could them. smell them from there. Wow. It was unbelievable. Wow. Fantastic. Anyway, so, so I've been having truffled uh, eggs in the morning and truffled, uh, <laughs> basically <laughs> yeah. putting truffles in the salad. I mean, you name it. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I got some uh, some hemp seeds and I've been putting them in my salads. Have you ever <laughs> tried that? Hemp seeds? Do you fry them? You can, uh, you but you can also Aren't just... Aren't they kind of uh, hard? Aren't they kind of hard? No, no, no. They actually, uh, you can eat them right out of the uh, container. In fact, mm-hmm. um, and they're they're very they're very nutty tasting, and actually not that hard at all. It's just it crunches away like uh, you have a nice mouthful of nuts, and it's uh, it's it's tasty, and it's also filling. And uh, and the reason, of course, why I eat it is because I believe it's healthy. Uh, but that's uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, you believe a lot of stuff. Yeah, um, sure. I'm kooky, John. Yeah, but I still look good for 44. Okay, and um, you can uh, just sprinkle it on a salad, or I put it in yogurt. Sometimes I eat it quite regularly. Huh? Where you get them? You buy it in the supermarket, right at uh, Sainsbury's. Hemp seeds? Yeah, yeah. Well, can you plant them? Um, no. Well, they're they're deshelled, so or whatever, whatever it is. I should go get the. It's it's three flights down. Otherwise, I go grab the container and read it off to you. Uh, yeah. But it does it does state specifically guaranteed not to contain any. Uh, uh, was it TCH? Yeah, THC. Is it? I'm oh, sorry, THC. What is that? Tetrahedra. Tetrahydrocannabinol or something like that. Yeah, tetrahydrocannabinol or whatever. Uh, the good stuff, as we call it here. Uh, so it doesn't, doesn't contain any of that. Well, that must be some trendy thing. I, that would be fun to do. I'd, I'd play with it. You should, you should, try, you should try it because I think you will, you will like the taste of it. And I don't think it's a trendy. Well, maybe they it is a trendy. Them. They thing. don't it's, sell those seeds here. They're, they're, that, if there's no THC or anything else, they're, they're so against, you know, even suggesting. I mean, they don't even like hemp clothing. Uh, I mean, or they're just or like freaky. Yeah, or paper, which of course it's great for making paper. 
Yeah, well, there's a lot of uses. I mean, hemp, I mean, the stuff that's low, it really has low THC content, but just this stringy stuff. You know, it used to be, ropes used to be made out of it. It's a very valuable crop, but, you know, they won't grow it because it's like, you know, it's just propaganda. Talking about propag- propaganda. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, gee, you think, wait a minute, let me just pick up the newspaper. Yes? <laughs> so there was a thing on PBS. Uh, this is one of the things I actually made a note on this because I was watching the show and I, I just it just struck me as just odd. There's a special on, and this was part two. It was the it's the history of late night television was the, oh, was the show. Oh, it, oh you I recorded this? Right? I'll make a copy oh, for you. Yes, it's actually thanks. quite entertaining because it's Thank all about Steve Allen and you know then how how Jack Park came into the scene and how Johnny Carson sure. got the job and all this kind of thing and Mer, how Merv Griffin would discovered himself and that kind of thing. Oh, excellent, excellent. So they're showing the Steve Allen show because Steve Allen is the progenitor of all these shows. And I remember watching Steve Allen when I was a kid, and I saw. I, I actually got to. I, I I got to watch this this uh, this show, but having also experienced the entire history of late night uh, television. Because even when I was a, a little kid, my f- dad, who was a fa- fanatic about watching comedies, you know, would let I could watch. I could stay up until midnight; wasn't a big deal. And so, um, so I saw all these shows. There's proof, they, parents. That's what happens when you let your kids stay up at, to, until any time of the night. This is what they turn into. Right, chatterboxes on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Big winners in society. <laughs> Anyway, so they're showing the Steve Allen thing, and one of the things I remember distinctly about Steve Allen, he had this thing called Man on the Street, and he's the one who, who developed it. It was and it, basically that, yeah. he'd have some question, he'd ask these people, and they were, they, but there wasn't a real reality TV thing. He had these stooges, these regulars that were on his show. It was Tom Poston, uh, who always played kind of a, a forgetful character, and then he had uh, uh, the guy who played Barney Fife, uh, Don Knotts, Don who Knotts, would play yeah. this nervous wreck, and he would just be shaking like a leaf when he was on when the camera was on him, and. He'd, and Questions and that was funny back in the day. That was considered humorous. If you look at no, it actually still funny. Oh, really? Uh, Ah. Yeah, I mean, because he was so good at it. I mean, he would just tremble head to toe in a very unbelievable way. And then he had Louis Nye, who always played some slickster who was like a New Yorker or something. And then the last guy he had was Bill Dana. And Bill Dana would come on, and he would play this Mexican character named Jose Jimenez. And they, and Steve would always, it always, always the gag always began with Steve Allen asking Jose Jimenez, uh, you know, so, so what's your name? What's your name? And the guy would say, "My name, Jose Jimenez." And you know, with this, my name. Like you could make those kind of jokes today in our PC world, huh? Well, you know, even during this era, which was some time ago. The, some anti-defamation group found it very offensive to have Bill Dana saying my name, even though, you know, if you go see the movie Scarface, you know, with uh, <laughs> Brian De Palma. Say hello to my little friend, motherfucker. So, um, anyway, so they, so they, they somehow, even though this was after, he, he became a stand-up comic doing this character, and they, they, they hounded him out of business, and I think, you know, he, he basically lost his living, and that was the end of it. So I'm watching the special, and they, to me, left him out of the story completely, hmm. trying to, you know, it was just obviously suppressed. 
I mean, even though this is years and years ago, and this is a historic document now, you know, this 50 Well, now, hold ago. on a second. Now, when I, hold on a second. Obviously suppressed, please. I mean, you know, people who make television shows and documentaries are often just, they have an opinion. They're just boneheads. And, they, and the, the zeitgeist is people you don't that, remember they, this the shit. The problem is that they showed the other characters in this, in this, in this uh, you know. So they had, they had to make it within 60 minutes and they had to cut one uh, out. They, they had to make had a choice. They had plenty of crap in there that could have been cut out. They <laughs> left him out. <laughs> I'm debunking John C. Dvorak. What has the and, world become to? And I'm reminded, you know, it reminds me of what you know Bill Cosby's been trying to do for the last five or six years, which is scoop up every possible oh, copy yeah, he can find stuff, of yeah. Amos and Andy. That's right. Because he wants all the rights and he wants to reissue and do that again, or what does he want no, to do? No, no, he wants to destroy it. He, wa he thinks it should not be, a, it should not be a, 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 even viewed by anyone. Uh, you th you think that it would be much funnier if he actually turned it around, you know, if he, if he used that in a different way. But it's nuts to even in this day of digital media to even think you can do that. Huh? Let's case in can't, point. Let me go to YouTube. Can't be done. No, of course not. But anyway, that's the thing. But I was I was actually I noticed the missing uh, Bill Dana was the name of the character. I mean, mm. the name of the, the actor, Bill Dana, the comic. I, I just it was just left out. I mean, because they show, I swear to God, they they had everybody else that was ever on that show mentioned or something. And and the, Jose Jimenez character was important to the uh, to the man on the street sketch. Anyway, I just found it galling. Almost as galling as the airlines, huh? No, the airlines. And they wonder why they, you know, have trouble making money. I have a, a sound effect for us today, John. Oh. You ready? You ready? Sure. Yeah. You know what this is? It sounds like the subway or a train or something like no, that. No, the, no. No, listen again. You got, you got to listen really carefully to it. That is the sound of the printing press at the Federal Reserve, John. Going it's, full, it's going at full speed. Yeah, you better believe it is. <laughs> oh man, oh, it, it's been so fantastic to see all this, all this stuff being created and printed and thrown away. And there's so much happening that it, it, you can't even track it all anymore. We're now at uh, you know at seven point four trillion dollars that has been pumped in in the past three or four months. Yeah, all the good has done me. <laughs> uh, and 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 I love it that the Fed still won't tell tell anyone what they what they've given this money to or what they've received in exchange for it. And oh man, Obama's uh, financial team, <laughs> Summers, Geithner, Volcker, yeah, the same guys. Yeah, dude, a lot of change. change this is hope. change. Yeah, <laughs> Robert Gates. Uh, Defense uh, secretary left in place. There's some change for you. <laughs> but, it, but I got the biggest kick, and you haven't been over here. But they they've been arguing, debating this Robert Gates thing since the, since the first since the idea first came up, and it's just the weirdest thing to listen to. Everybody and their sister uh, from both sides of the aisle uh, go on and on about how it would be really cool for Robert Gates to stay. <laughs> there wasn't one person that says this idea sucks. Get You're rid of it. You're kidding me. No, everybody, both the Democrats and the Republicans, and the conservatives oh and the most God. extreme liberals, all thought Robert Gates was the guy, the go-to guy. We would show the magnanimous, you know, you know, bipartisanship, you know, of the nature. I'm putting of, Republicans in my cabinet. I, I'm doing the right thing. 
Oh man. So I don't know. He, I don't know. Well, I guess he's... well, I think I got it figured out, John. You want one? I mean, you just went off on your little conspiracy theory there about uh... Bill Dana and Jose Dana. Jimenez. Yeah. So um, of course uh, we've all uh, been uh, at least following to some degree the uh, the attacks in. Uh, I, I still have to call it Bombay, but okay, call it Mumbai if you want. And uh, there's a lot of things that is really bugging me about the reporting on this. First of all, the immediacy. They haven't even captured any guys. I think they killed a, they say they killed a couple. But, you know, we have one picture of a guy wearing a Versace sweatshirt. And uh, now we, uh, of course, immediately know that they are Islamic, radical uh, Islamic terrorists. Um, and, and I started to put all these things together. You know, the, um, of course, Obama is saying, hey, I'm going to pull all the troops out of Iraq. Of course, that means I'm going to send them to Afghanistan. So uh, sending them to Afghanistan. And then I'm thinking, all right, so obviously, you know, what they're doing now, if you listen to the prime minister of India, he's saying, oh, no, no, this is Pakistan. This is Pakistan who's doing it. And now the move is towards Pakistan. And um, if you look at the map, which uh, you might want to do, I know you do, John, but I'm just saying it to our listeners from time to time, just uh, pull up Google Earth there and go look at Pakistan. And you'll see that on one side, uh, it borders on uh, Afghanistan. And on the other side, it uh, it borders on Iran. So if we've got, or uh, Afghanistan uh, borders on both of those. So now I've got all these guys in Afghanistan, uh, right on the border, in fact, with Pakistan. Um, I think that the, the there's a poise here to uh, take over Pakistan, which already politically, of course, is severely weakened. It's a, it's a, a nuclear country. We're building up troops right on the border. I'm thinking that this is, uh, this is, and by the way, there have been, uh, in the past, you know, like seven years, there's been an attack in India every six months with 60 or 80 people being killed. And, uh, and this just stinks to me completely. I, I think, uh, it's a gear up for uh, some kind of assault on uh, Pakistan. Well, that's not bad. It's not like your usual material. Well, of course, uh, the part, the the, you know, the the usual material part would be that these obviously uh, are hired mercenaries who are trained. Um, that has nothing to do with terrorism, because since when does Al Qaeda all of a sudden take hostages and uh, and use AK forty sevens? It's completely different from any any type of uh, Al Qaeda linked terrorist attack. Uh, these guys look pretty damn professional to me. And it looks like uh, they, you know, they were hired. They went in. They just were in there to kill. And uh, it doesn't seem to me like, you know. No, I mean, I mean, I, I think that's reasonable too. What I meant when I said it's not like a usual thing. I thought that you were going to summarize. Oh, by, by saying, saying the that CIA the did this? are somehow behind no, this thing. And no, the CIA, CIA. You've got to believe that we are behind it. Israel's behind it. Yeah. You know, there's a big thing. Oh, now they've they have. There's a. Uh, 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 a Jewish house of worship or whatever they're calling. They're not calling it. Uh, a synagogue, they're calling it something else. Um, this one, here, here's something that really bugged the hell out of me. Cause you know, there's, um, well, first of all, they're saying, oh, it seems like they were targeting, uh, Americans and Britons. Although, you know, like of the 130 people who've been killed, only a, a few were actually uh, American or British. Um, but there's this is one guy, a multimillionaire, Andreas Liveras. And, uh, he was on the phone with the BBC. And right after that, he got killed. And so I'm like, wow, that, that's fascinating. So I'm looking around for the, uh, you know, for an audio or something like that. I don't know if he actually was on air, but, um, I found, uh, a, a short transcript 
uh, from, on the, the BBC website. And here's what he said. This was interesting. Um, so he was in the restaurant, about a thousand people in the restaurant. And hold on a second. Where is it? He said that they were locked in. He said, there must be more than a thousand people here. There are residents and tourists and locals. We are not hiding. We are locked in here. The doors are locked and we are inside. Now, you know, what, what kind of terrorist goes through, you know, all of this, you know, locking people in a room, containing them. They cut the, uh, the television services so no one could, you know, they cut the telephone, uh, connections to the outside. You know, this is a, this is a major ass attack, John. I mean, this is a coordinary military effort. This doesn't seem like a bunch of a bunch of bozos. And boy, do you think they were armed? I mean, this is uh, to me, this is very, very troubling. Well, and somebody particular- else on on Fox or someplace else pointed out that it was a very low tech thing because it was just basically armed men, militia types that you know just took over all these places, that burned you know the hotels and did all the rest of it. But you might you might be onto something here because it does it doesn't because all the things that Al Qaeda's ever done is they they yeah they'll do a, a coordinated thing, bomb, through, yeah, bomb. but they bomb the Suicide. crap out of everything. Suicide bomb, yeah, and and the most people who were killed. And it, we're just talking about it really easily. It's horrible, of course. But the most people who were killed were in the train station, which were mainly Indians. You know, so so the, the, there's a definite spin being put out there, uh, and and that's the shit you got to watch for. There's a real spin on that. A, it was links to Al Qaeda or other, or now they had the uh, some Mujahideen group, which is you know by even the definition of Mujahideen is uh, is not really something you can pinpoint. Right. Well, uh, they also mentioned that this is the the, the Drakkar or the Dakar Mujahideen, which is from an, a region, an area, and they region, say it's yeah. somehow related to this other one. Really, because I listened to the analysis on Fox, and they, you know, they, they they it was a stretch. It was like, well, you know, first of all, they said we don't even know who these people are at the beginning. Remember when this thing first broke? It was like everyone was baffled right. by who these people were, yeah. and then they announced who they were, and everyone said, "Who are they? We never heard of them." Yeah. Which, of course, then is a bad reflection on the Indian. Uh, they, a lot of people are reflecting <laughs> negative. Well, did you hear the? Audio? Did you hear the audio of the 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 Deca Mujahideen? They called in to uh, Sky News or whatever, like yeah, and they were speaking in the Indian, and so there was translation. But it was like yes, we are the Deca Mujahideen. We are responsible. And then the reporter says, um, "What are your um, what are your demands?" And the and the guy goes like, "What up?" demands hey what do i <laughs> like like he didn't know what the demands were he had to ask some guy so it's you know it's clearly either fake or you know and set up or it's just not right it's crap yeah you know i'm not gonna but uh, <clears throat> until I, the, the reporting is finished with reporting i guess yeah, i'm in the dream you. world reporting. let yeah. me take some more drugs yeah um <laughs> what reporting john oh right excellent so it's like, what reporting? I mean, there's going to be no reporting. So we're never going to find out is what I'm trying to get at here, obviously, no, no, because if, it, if it's what you think it might be, which is a phony baloney deal. Uh, and by the way, I, it's interesting that it coincides with the IMF. Oh, I was, looking for, I was looking for something. Uh, w- w- tell me about the IMF. They've done a deal with Pakistan. Oh, this makes so much sense. So we we hit him uh, we hit him twice we hit him in the financial nuts and we uh, and we we just take everything and everybody out and move in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now now listen to this, dude. Major massive Gitmo Nation news. You will love this in the United Kingdom. 
Um, so we have a uh, we have a a shadow government here. So we have the uh, the people running the country, and then right on the other side of the House of Commons, you've got what they call the shadow uh, government. So you for the uh, there's an immigration minister uh, in uh, in Parliament, and then there's the uh, uh, that would be a Labour immigration minister. Um, and then on the other side, you have the shadow immigration minister. In this case, it's uh, Minister Green. And um, so over the past couple months, a number of stories, really whistleblower stories, have broken in the newspapers in the U.K. One was that um, um, we talked about this, that there were uh, you know thousands of illegal immigrants who, were, uh, who had been cleared to work in sensitive jobs in the government, and uh, that the Home Secretary, Jackie Smith, knew this months before it ever came out. Uh, there was another one about uh, an, an illegal Brazilian immigrant who was working as a cleaner in Parliament. Um, let's see, there was uh, what people would think about the f- uh, 42-day incarceration. There were a number of stories that were getting leaked to the press, which I consider to be, you know, hey, look, uh, it's the government. We, we, we deserve to know about this stuff. So what they did is they, uh, they had suspicion that it was uh, the... The conservatory minister Green, Damien Green of immigration, who was leaking this to the press, they took him out of his house last night, arrested him, took him, to, to, uh, interrogated him for nine hours while they searched his homes both in London and in Kent. I mean, dude, does this remind you of anything? <laughs> it's great. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, this is outrageous. <laughs> It's absolutely outrageous. I wonder if they slapped him around a little bit, just to, you know, with the organ. I hope so. <laughs> that <laughs> makes the, the story very much better. inner tube, you know, or something where they do it. A waterboarded him. I mean, that, that's, <laughs> that is just outrageous that this is taking place. Uh, let me tell you another one, because you'll get a kick out of this. The British man. And, I, and I've been talking, I love the Brits. And I've been talking to him about this. You know, they said, why are you on your back like, like bitches? Letting the government piss on you all the time, and uh, which, by the way, they have a term here, uh, which is called uh, uh, bohica. Oh yeah, bend, bend over, over here, here it comes. comes yeah. Here it comes again. Yeah, here it comes again. Yeah. So, um, so they had this this big blow up about these uh, these two talk show hosts, Russell Brand and Jonathan Ross. We talked about that, and you know, these guys make a lot of money, and they they said like, you know, they fucked someone's granddaughter, and was a big brouhaha, and should they be fired? And one resigned, and the other was uh, uh, kicked off the air for three months. But they have Dancing with the Stars, which of course originated here in the United Kingdom, which is called uh, Strictly Come Dancing, in the official pronunciation. And uh, there was a guy on, uh, an uh, actor, singer, comedian, one of those, an uh, older guy, older gentleman named John Sargent. And the guy can't dance. But the yeah, audience I about, yeah, no, I actually, loves I was, the guy. When I went through Europe uh, last week, I was reading all these papers, and you know, because the, the, there's all the British papers, and I, I was reading though there was like a big deal about John Sargent, and they had pictures of him, right. and they and there were editorials all over the place about how right. he can't dance, and I'm reading, what is wrong with these people? Well, so this is what's amazing from a, a number of perspectives. So. The, the judges were, you know, scale of one to ten, the judges kept giving him one, two, you know, a three. I mean, completely failing scores. But the audience, who ultimately decides who stays on, kept voting for him because they loved it. They were like, this is entertaining. It was funny to watch him. And it was. It really was funny because, you know, you dance with a real professional and she's basically doing all the moves and he's like dragging her across the floor. It's just, <laughs> it was funny. It really worked. 
And then, you know, it was like this big, oh, well, you know, this is a, this can't be. This is a dancing competition. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, so then John Sargent said, oh, well, you know what? I'm just going to resign the show. And I'm thinking, is, is the, you know, so the British public who's so outraged about paying for these, for these, uh, two comedians who just weren't funny for once. And they're so outraged where this is a blatant setup, blatant, where they kick the guy off the show. Someone's lying somewhere and they're just letting it go. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't get it. And like, oh, okay. Well, I guess that makes sense. And, and I know Patricia has this fight on, uh, on pop stars in Holland all the time. You know, cause it's like, well, this girl, you know, this is, this is one contestant who's, who's really rocking, right? She's, uh, she's a pretty, she's above average singer, but she weighs about 230 pounds and she wears dumb dresses to go with it, which are not <laughs> flattering. And the audience loves her because, of course, losers always win on these shows. And, and they're like, well, we gotta, you know, her, her other judges are like, we gotta get her, get her off the show. This is ridiculous. You know, this is a serious competition. How could she ever become a pop star? And Patricia's like, F you. The people love her. What do you want? Do you want? And she literally said to the other judges, "Do you like that new house you bought? Then you better keep this bitch on the show." Is <laughs> that the audience wants it? That's that's what keeps the ratings going. And I'm just amazed by by the British public taking that lying down. Unbelievable. Well, there were sure a lot of articles about it, and I wasn't. I actually should have asked you about it the last time we spoke because. Um, uh, I was unaware of the backstory. I just I just noticed it was like a whole bunch of attention. It was getting a lot of attention. I yeah, well, on, well honestly, attention. It, it didn't really hit me until I started thinking about it. And I'm like, this is crazy. This is just absolutely nuts. Well, um, I don't see things getting any better. And I'm surprised we don't have more of that kind of thing going on here. I, you know, I mean, as much as there's a you know fascist state a brewing everywhere in the U.S., it, the Brits have got us beat hands down. If there was a competition, on what state has just gone completely? Oh, well, let me fascist. give it to you. Let me give it to you, man. So Patricia called me. Uh, she was uh, traveling uh, to her to uh, to Holland today, and uh, she takes you know she takes EasyJet. She loves EasyJet. Yeah, she wants she'll take EasyJet over British Airways, KLM, anything. She lo- she thinks system's great, and I agree with her. Huh. And she and so she calls me. Says I'm finally at the gate. I said, what happened? She said, well, you won't believe it. Now, John, you've never met my wife. Have you ever seen a picture of her? Oh, yeah. You you have a picture on your phone, and I've seen pictures of her on, because when I've I seen her in action on that show, because oh, you right. sent a yeah. link to right. it. Yeah, okay. So, she's beautiful. And uh, do you think uh, she looks like a potential terrorist, uh, John? <laughs> <laughs> just, just an offhand question. Do you think that uh, she looks like a potential terrorist? No, yeah. obviously not. So she rolls up to the, uh, to the x-ray machine and, you know, she's, she's, you know, she's already, cause the show was this evening, you know, so she's already kind of pre-prepped and, you know, she's looking good and she's, you know, she already has stuff on that she's going to wear on the show. And, uh, and she has a, um, a small tube of toothpaste and a, a, a miniature travel size, uh, bottle of Chanel. That's my wife, Miss Chanel. And so it goes to the x-ray machine, and they say, you know, burp, burp, stop, okay. And they say, look, ma'am, uh, this is not in a plastic bag. And okay. Patricia, and by the way, Patricia uh, always laughs at them, which, you know, she just smiles and is always happy, which makes them crazy. And I mean, I, I immediately, I would, be, I, would be, I would be calling you from jail today if this happened to me. 
So she says, oh, oh, really? Well, do you have a plastic bag? And they're like, no, you got to go all the way back. So it's like a 20-minute line, right? She said, okay. So she went all the way back outside. She had to get a plastic baggie, put her toothpaste and the Chanel in it, then wait in line 20 minutes to go all the way back through. And then they, and then this is the kicker. So they, of course, it's the same people, and they recognize her, and they say, okay, it's in the bag. And they say, um, we have to do a liquid test. What? They literally tested the Chanel and the toothpaste. They tested it, which consisted of spraying the Chanel number five into the air and sniffing it. Unbelievable. Maybe one of the people there wanted a, a dose of Chanel number five, you know, so they could go on a date later. This is the this is the danger in a fascist state where you have people who have a uniform um, and and they have a, a certain amount of authority for a, a microsecond of your lifetime. And, you know, if if they're having right. a bad day or whatever privilege. it is, they, they take advantage of it. And they, they, I mean, clearly, this is this is ridiculous and harassment. I mean, there's there's no doubt this is just a bullshit. Yeah, yeah, unquestionably. Yep. Well, was this leaving? Was this going into the airport in London or what? what yeah, in love. Oh, yeah, it was at Gatwick. So yeah, it was yeah. uh, this uh, this uh, this afternoon. Liquid test. It's nuts, and it's just getting worse. Well, I mean, you know, there's going to be a uh, something's bad's going to happen. Oh, okay. What do you think? I, I got a couple of ideas. What do you think? I think the British publics, you know, they're going to, at some point, I mean, the British are, are you know, they, there is a mean streak in that culture that uh, is going to come out. And I think it's well, going to be. Well, this is what I'm waiting for. I want that thin, wiry, white English bloke on the street burning shit and waving sticks. That's, that's, that's what I always thought the Brits were like. Well, you know that movie Vendetta. Did you see V for oh, Vendetta? Oh, yeah, I love that. Of course. Remember, remember the 5th of November gunpowder treason and plot. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> you bet I love it. Guy Fox, Yeah, sure. Well, I'm that's... expecting something like that. <laughs> Just blow up Parliament. <laughs> I mean, that's what Guy Fox tried to do. And, they, and it's funny that they still celebrate him, and they do that by creating a bonfire and getting hammered. Well, that's all they, they celebrate everything by getting hammered. Oh, ex excellent news for you, by the way. Uh, good buddy of mine, in fact, a very good friend of mine, we stayed at his house in uh, the south of France uh, this summer. He owns uh, one of the largest uh, nightclubs, complexes, I should say, in uh, in Surrey. And he has a, a strip joint called the Lion's Den, which I'd never been to. I've been to his clubs several times, and, uh, and you know, we had Christina's birthday party at, at one of his clubs. And he said, look, man, I, I'm up for the license for uh, all the Playboy clubs in the United Kingdom, which don't exist yet. And so you know, I'm like, well, that's that's cool. He said, I'm trying to get a cool crowd together because these guys are coming by and they're going to come check the place out. Uh, so I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll come in. I'll look uh, I'll look uh, jet settery and I'll, I'll talk up a storm and uh, no problem. So I go over there uh, last night at 10 o'clock after I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, which I also should m mention a couple things about in a moment. And um, so the place is there, you know, it's like, you know, everyone's hanging out and it's uh, it's not really crazy busy, but it's perfect for uh, for the setting to to impress these uh, these guys who are coming in. And Michelle says, here, man, you know, have a lap dance on me with uh, whatever uh, one, one of his uh, his top performers. And I'm like, OK, you know, because I'll, I'll, I'll go to the VIP area. Something I did not know, John, in the United Kingdom at lap dancing clubs, they take their panties off as well. 
and huh. uh, and you get a full-on, full-blown show. That's interesting. I, I, you know, I actually, I went, oh my, oh my. <laughs> I was like, oh my. <laughs> now, you, are you sure this wasn't just for you? No, 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 because in the, there were other, there were other guys in the VIP area, and the same thing was going on. Because actually, when I walked in. There was uh, there was a girl I could see just from behind I could see that I either that's the the an invisible G string or she doesn't have one on but I didn't think much of it hmm. and uh, the show was very like it was a coordinated show because I saw these girls do the exact same show so it wasn't like a personalized anything uh, and it's not like you know you you're you're up close but you ain't that close but still oh my huh yeah so when you coming back. I don't know, but we got to visit that place. <laughs> oh, you'll love Michelle. Ah, oh, you'll love him. He's. Uh, uh, we're flying tomorrow to. Uh, to I'm. Uh, I'm taking him uh, to see Patricia perform. She's doing a a big uh, benefit concert for uh, starving children, and she's going to perform uh, three songs with a 65 piece orchestra. Her dad is accompanying her on uh, with, on violin. Her 84 year old dad. Mm. On uh, she's doing a smile, I think, with him on a violin. So uh, that should be cool. But yeah, you'll like Michelle when you when you're over here next. I'll so, uh, so that's why you, we, we, we people should know we're doing the show on Friday. Well, we did, I was plan, not planning on telling anybody, honestly. Well, I think I they was, should know because you know I, I think it's I think it's full. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, 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 that's a good point. So in case there's something happens, well, these guys they missed that whole story. Well, should we up, should we upload it today then, or on or on? Uh, or on Saturday. I don't think we have a problem uploading it today. I'm, I'm okay. not a big, you know, I mean, this is the great thing about... About not being in the fake corporate media. Yeah. Yeah, we can do what we want. Mm-hmm. And so we can be off a day or skip a week. I mean, the fact of the matter is, especially if people are doing this right, the people that listen to this thing religiously. And by the way, anyone out there who listens to us, tell a friend. get a friend so we can get our numbers up to some point that we can theoretically uh, pay for this thing. But anyway... Get, so, get a couple lap dances out of it. Better than to poke an eye with a sharp stick. <laughs> it was it was pretty similar, actually. Uh, <laughs> so, um, people who do who do it right would obviously have an RSS feed that, uh, that they would get this thing downloaded to their iPod automatically right. and, be, yeah. and, and be surprised. Yeah. Whoa, and then, look! Oh, whoa! Gee, that was a concept. Yeah. Um, but speaking of speaking of that, I was just watching CNBC. Money, honey, Aaron was on. I thought she might be off for the for the long uh, Thanksgiving weekend. And they had a report on uh, radio stocks, and except for CBS Radio, which currently sits around sits around six dollars, all these other companies, Emmis, um, uh, the the fifteen percent of Clear Channel that is actually still public. Um, serious. Every single one of them is under a buck a share. Some of them 18 or 19 cents a share. Radio is effectively dead. Serious is really amazing. Well, it's not. They're, they're losing $750 million. Yeah, uh, I know. And there's no way they're quarter. going to turn this around. I had predicted this, by the way, when they first formed years and years and years oh, ago. How it, hard is that? that well, I mean, it wasn't. That... But I sure got a bunch of flack. Oh, that can't be true. But meanwhile, I had more people say to me, uh, in fact, that was with somebody the other day, and says, you know, uh, and the guy could afford it. He drives around a Bentley, and he says, you know, I just gave up on my Sirius and, and XM radio subscriptions to the Bentley. I just listened to podcasts <laughs> exactly 
Because he's got, exactly. you know, the, apparently the Bentley Continental has a clip in it. That it has you a hook, connector. Yeah, it has a connector iPod that you can hook your iPod right to it. And um, well, the whole the, the whole problem. Well, first of all, um, it, it, you know, this these companies were built with dot com money. Uh, that's when they got their first uh, infusion of cash. And, uh, you know, they, they have some beautiful facilities, just, uh, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen oh. pictures of the, I guess, oh. XM or Sirius. They're oh, fantastic. It's so oh, it's, and they got, you know, in New York, Sirius has 55 studios. Yeah. You know, and, and that's excluding the, the palace Howard Stern uh, has, uh, right in the middle of reception there. Um, but of course, the, you know, they, they wanted to merge these two companies and then the FCC and, and whoever else and the SEC, they, you know, they really let it linger and linger and linger and they wouldn't give a decision. So the stocks just kind of steadily declined. And now, of course, um, you know, their main source of distribution is not actually satellite. Their main source of distribution is vehicles. And so what these guys do, what, uh, Norm, uh, what, no, it's not Norm Pat. Who's running it? Uh, I don't know. Oh, whatever. Uh, guy from CBS, I think. Anyway, what, you know, their, their main gig, uh, is to get the big automakers to pre-install Sirius and, uh, XM satellite receivers in their vehicles. And, yeah. you know, so, yeah. so that's like, not happening. Like, well, like they did in the nineties, there was everyone was talked into installing, uh, um, AM, remember stereo. stereo. Yeah, I remember that. Stereo AM. So I have days. one of those radios where it says, and when you hit it, AM stereo. By the way, there's no nobody broadcasting AM stereo anymore. But we, we used to be, turn the dial, and you would find the one station on the entire spectrum that had an AM. So it would light up. A little thing would light up on the radio say, AM stereo. Stereo. So you'd listen to it, and it was it was the crappiest. You know, I don't know even what the point of it was. It didn't sound any better. You know, it was like the, it was it, it didn't even hold a candle or come close to what FM sounds like. So what was the point? I'm trying to think. There was a reason. There were there were a couple of different reasons they were trying. Yeah, to I remember where that. some CES somebody gave me some rationale about yeah. AM stereo and how it's going to actually take over because you get bigger distances. It's better than FM and all the rest of it. And it didn't go anywhere. It's like this thing that's going on this high definition radio that's going on right now. You know, they're trying to push HD radio, and that's not going anywhere. I mean, it's just like you know, this the stuff is is fixed already. It's done. It's over. You got your AM. You got what do you got? You got talk radio. It's what it's turned into. And then you have your FM. Which has got your your music and you got whatever else you want to put over there in the public. And then, and and then you've got the real media, the real true new media podcast. Yeah, and then you have the new media, which are you know uh, much more versatile. You can listen anytime you want. You don't. You're not stuck. I'm still irked about it. Listen to because I listen to like a lot of us listen to right wing talk radio because it's very entertaining. And you, everyone's supposed to, the gal say something or somebody will say something and you want to back it up or you wanted to save it or you can't do any of that. And you can't listen to it when you want to listen to it. You have to listen to it when they're broadcasting. And I mean the whole thing is I mean that whole model of you know time based broadcasting is it old if fashioned you have a choice. Nobody would prefer you would prefer the more versatile style which is what we're doing hell yeah one no of these days, the advertisers it. will get a clue and they'll start realizing well, that no, really- that's not that no let me just say that's not entirely true because our audio programming is doing millions of dollars a month of which a significant portion goes to the producers of those audio programs with our transactional campaigns you know this. You've been in. You've been in these meetings. This shit works. You know the. You use my code for GoDaddy. Use my code for eHarmony. Use my code for Budget. Use my code for Footlocker. 
And I think that as we move into um, the Depression, that as long as the grid stays up and people can still connect, I think that uh, we'll see increasing use of um, of these types of offerings. And that that's for us, it's forty uh, percent of our revenue, John. It's a serious business. No, I'm not saying it's not, but it's not. If you put it side by side with big media, it's like a yeah. But think about it. The reason why. For the same reasons that that um, that radio in broadcast towers is no longer valid because you have to listen at that at that moment, the interruptive nature of advertising also doesn't work anymore. You can you can skip past it, you can ignore it, you can. Uh, <coughs> so it, it it so completely breaks the model, and which is why you know the counting of downloads never worked. No one could ever agree on it. You know we had all kinds of guilds and organizations and societies and whatever, uh, and, and it just, it'll just never work that way. And by the way, listen to radio. They're doing the exact same thing. They're saying, hey, use my code. All of them are. Well, I have a code, budget.com slash tech. Get yeah, I've got my code on. is... Go ahead. No, go you ahead. 10% off of any budget. And by the way, I, I say this on the Tech 5 thing, which is that I I use budget because they really do have the coolest cars. And you get a like, uh, 10% discount on your weekly rent. They've had Jaguars. they got all kinds of cool stuff. Anyway. They won't have Jaguars uh, anytime uh, in the future. They're about Don't, to go belly up. Well, that's a shame. Well, it's it, a massive true. shame because uh, i got to get rid of my Jag, and no one will buy it. Well, the problem no. is, of course, you know, Jaguars have the reputation of once they get past warranty, they just start falling apart. So I don't see too many old ones on the road. Well, this one is not that old, um, but the uh, the dealer will not buy it back. They don't have the money. They do, and they can't have a a car that has actual money of theirs in it sitting on the lot. And they said, "There's no one. There's, look around. There's no one here." So we're not selling any cars. No one's coming in. The people who do come in, half of them can't get a, the financing. Hmm. Uh, so the only people who are coming in are people who uh, really, uh, you know, have the money, cash down to to buy a good deal on something new. But Jaguar, now that uh, Tata who owns them, has said, hey, we need a billion pounds to stay in business because they're looking for their own bailouts. Don't think it's just the big three. Uh, over here, um, Nissan, Toyota, Bentley, Austin Martin, um, Jaguar, they've all asked the government for help. They're all in the same position. There's no difference uh, between here and the United States, unless you listen to Gordon Brown, who says it's all the uh, all America's fault. You say Jaguar the way Stewie would on Family Guy. Jaguar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am Stewie. <laughs> <laughs> Jaguar. That's the. Come yeah, on. I, I, I slip in a couple of my correct pronunciations from time to time. I'm slowly going through my transformation. Yeah, you're going to become British. No, I don't think there's any danger of that. I will, however. Have to register for my ID card with biometric data. Yeah, what, what, what biometric data are they going to steal from you? Well, of course they don't take actually. A sample of your blood. That's what they should do. Yeah, they don't actually tell you. But uh, this is the same Jackie Smith of the Home Office, uh, the one who said that everyone's clamoring and so excited about the national ID card. <laughs> she literally said that. Oh, ah. I get calls. The people are so excited they can't wait to have one. So the first group of people who are singled out, who of course will be the first ones to get on the train to the camp. Uh, are people like me. If you're married to uh, an EU national, 
and uh, which gives you the right to live and work in the United Kingdom, then you're the first group to get a, a card. It will contain your visa status, uh, name, address, uh, picture, fingerprint, and, quote, other biometric data, which I can only assume is, uh, is probably will be DNA. Could be. Should they take a swab? In the, in the Netherlands, uh, there's a, a big debate going on about something called the electronic child dossier. And they want to start this in 2009. When a child was born, a, basically they create a new record in the database and call that the electronic child dossier, which uh, obviously is meant, uh, for easy access to information about the child so that, um, uh, physicians and, and, uh, Medical institutions can uh, swiftly access the information, and it'll probably stop terrorism as well. Um, but what the big debate has been, uh, so they have all these fields, you know, name, uh, uh, skin color, eye color, hair color. And then they have a, a, a field in the record, which is the, the subject of the debate, which is pubic hair. And literally there are like three choices of pubic hair that have to be entered into the record. What? Yes, sir. Pubic hair. How fucked up is that? Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. In fact, it's so unbelievable, I don't believe it. You well, have to send me a link. i got to blog it. Okay, I'll see if there's a, a, an English article about it yet, but it's all in Dutch so far. And I'm sure Google Translate won't really do it justice. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the three options were, I think, um, curly... Harry and Curly, or just Adult Harry, or something—that's direct translation. So it sounds kind of kind of weird. And I and I was talking to Patricia about this. I said, "Yes, yeah, so clearly you have this electronic child dossier well into puberty." I said, "So everyone will have one." So what are you going to put on yours, honey? Do we have to change yours from time to time? It was like uh, <laughs> Brazilian landing strip. Ooh, nothing. Hubby <laughs> likes it, you know. And what heart? <laughs> By the way, the girls at the club last night. <laughs> No entry. Just leave that one blank, baby. That's funny. But how, so, how, I mean, this is what's going on all over Europe, John. It's, it's like in record tempo. This stuff is, uh, it's just click, click, click. It's happening. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just the uh, thousand year Reich. The thousand year Reich? Oh, is this another cyclical thing? No, no. I mean, that's what Hitler said when he began his like program to make everything fascist. He said there'd be a thousand year right. It'd be a thousand years of this, you know. And then, of course, you know, they beat him in uh, World War II and everyone figured it was the end of it. But I guess not. It's, uh, it's pretty scary. So on other news. Yes. What else is going on? Um, uh, hold on a second. I did. T- I did a little bit of homework as he ruffles the Financial Times open. So when I was floating around Portugal doing my show, I brought with me some gear. I brought the, uh, the uh, what did I bring? I, all I brought was the M-Audio uh, interface. It, it sounded it, good. It worked. And a PR, I used it, that's because it, it was a Heil PR-42. Wait, a 42? Wait, no, no. It's a 40, not a 40. Oh, it's a 40, 42? okay. Yeah, it's okay. a 40. Okay. It's right. that really good Heil mic. Yeah, the one the, I The have. one that Leo Laporte uses because, you know, and Leo's been in radio forever, and he used to use that. There's a one EV model that everybody in radio used to use. Yeah, the electro and, voice, yeah. Yeah, an electro voice, specific dynamic electro voice. Not, these aren't condenser mics, which is interesting because this Heil sounds... 
exactly like a condenser mic as far but as without, I can but tell. But without, uh, without the phantom power. Without, yeah, without needing this extra power to, to, to drive it. It's just a, a regular dynamic microphone, but it sounds so good. So I got a bunch of notes from people, although I need to have a um, some sort of a, a, a oh, protector. Wait a minute. They said it sounds better than normal. That's what they said, right? Yeah. I have this happen all the time. I was using, I told you, I use my love in New York, and people are like, wow, this sounds awesome. You should always sound like this. So now I'm actually talking on the same wireless love mic. This happened. I don't know if it's just because it sounds different and then people think it sounds better or if we over obsess the sound and so that it actually sounds shittier than normal. But I've noticed this exact same thing. Whenever I change my setup I on had, the road, people like it. I had a guy send me a note saying, tell Adam to stay with that because you were wearing a headset on one of the shows or something. You no, no, it's it's this mic. It's the mic that okay. I'm talking through right now. They yeah. said, oh, tell him to just use that mic. It sounds a million times better. Yeah, and yeah. I am. I well, am. that's why I'm going to get a country. I'm going to get a countryman. I got to get for, a countryman too. I really want to try that because uh, you know you because that because th this PR40, which is a nice, beautiful sounding mic. In fact, I'll probably switch to it. Uh, I'm right now. I'm using an AKG, but uh, a condenser uh, with a tube. Sounds nice. It's, yeah, but apparently the other one will sound better. But what the kind? Of, but the travel with that PR forty. The thing is a big clunker. It's huge, and then it get, yeah. every time I got stopped at one of the gates on the airplane, they you know, want to know what that is. They find it, and then they'd hold it up, and they'd look around and say, "What's this?" You know, they don't know what a microphone they is. Do a liquid it. test on that fucker. You know, I'm surprised they didn't crack it open. But <laughs> anyway, so. Um, so I come back from Europe with two salamis and a and a microphone. <laughs> two salamis and a microphone. His name is John C. D. Ooh, y'all OG. So they're all obsessing. They don't give a shit about the salamis. They're obsessing over this microphone. microphone. But anyway, it's too big. Now, the countryman is a, just a wire. It's just a wisp of a thing. I mean, it doesn't weigh anything. It weighs nothing. I mean, yeah. if that mic is the, is the sounds as good as the PR, and I, my experience, it does. It sounds as good as the PR40. Yeah, then the why take uh, the PR40? Take I totally agree. that thing agree. on the road, the, the countryman, yeah. and just, you know, yeah. you don't, because when you travel, you know, people don't travel a lot. They don't understand. They have no they, idea. You know, it's, you, you, you know the, when you travel, uh, I travel light. Uh, I know how to pack a suit into a regular suitcase that can go under a seat. And I, how to roll I, a salami in it. I well, I got the salami in the computer case. A new game. So, it's hide the salami with John C. Dvorak. So I've got a light. So I travel very light, and I see these poor schmucks that, and especially these, some of these women, who don't know how to travel, and they and they and their husbands put up with this crap. They have a suitcase the size of like a refrigerator, and you know, and they they can't move it or and they can't put it up overhead. They can't do anything with the thing's way too big, and hubby is stuck. Uh, I was went to the Oakland airport about to go up north about. Uh, Two or three months ago, there's the funniest thing. There was one of these women. She was doing her nails in the front of the bus from the parking lot thing, and she, and and I was when I got on this this whole luggage area was stacked to the gills with luggage, and so uh, they get off. And this woman, you know, she refuses to carry anything but her handbag. And this poor schlub husband of hers, he's got like two huge rollers and a thing, another thing. And the kids have got a couple of bags. And he's got some stuff over his head. I mean, you know, around his neck. He's holding the poor guy's loaded down like a mule. And did he have and a baby, a baby hanging from him as well? 
I don't, you know, that was just short of that. And <laughs> and the little girl that's with them goes up to me and she said, and I just cracked it. She says, she goes up to her mother and says, Mommy, Mommy, why does Daddy have to take all the luggage all the time? You know, she's giving her crap smart, about it. Smart, yeah. And and this poor Daddy, he was carrying all this thing. I mean, ugh, you can travel with one bag, but I always tell people to travel with nothing and then buy stuff over there and, and ship it back. But you can travel very light if you try. I know people that travel, for example, this is a rant. I know people that travel, for example, and they'll bring before the liquid thing, which I think was a benefit to all travelers, before the three ounce rule, which is 100 milliliters actually, uh, they would bring an entire giant bottle, a year's supply of shampoo. And pack it. Why would you? What are you bringing this giant bottle of shampoo on a two-week trip or a one-week trip or whatever? It's just ridiculous. You should you should uh, be at Heathrow. Uh, very often, the Virgin Atlantic flight from San Francisco lands simultaneously with a flight from uh, Mumbai. My goodness, man! The Indians when they when when they travel, it's like it's it's enormous the amount of luggage they have. Absolutely enormous, big crates. Huge. And you see, of course, they're always stopped at immigrations and some schmuck there is unpacking all this care. I mean, then they pack it tight. I don't know if they're coming over here forever or what, but it's unreal. <laughs> unreal. Yeah, when I see this big luxury, I'm, I'm always thinking, are you moving there? Is that yeah. why you're bringing so much stuff? Yeah. You know, I don't know. I tell people there. I guess there's some women. In fact, I went to uh, uh, when I went to Korea. Gina Smith. She brought like ten pairs of or fifteen pairs of shoes. And uh, I said, "What do you bring all these shoes for?" She says, "Well, somebody told me she hadn't been there before. She says that they 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 really are are picky about shoes. You can't wear the same pair of shoes twice." And I'm thinking, you, and you believe this? Aye, aye, aye. Even I wouldn't believe that one. So anyway, hey, Woolworths is uh, bankrupt over here. I didn't even know they were still in business. Oh, they've been in, oh yeah. Oh, Woolworths has been in business here for decades. We haven't, I don't think I've seen a Wool, we used to have Woolworths all well, over. Well, it was the bought place. up. It, it was, uh, it was purchased by, um, well, so Woolworths in like 1908 or 08 or something like that. I think they, they did, they opened up a store in the United Kingdom. And, uh, who's the, the name of the guy? Some, I'm sure it's, uh, John H. Woolworth. Um, he, he discovered that, it was the original five-and-dime concept. Right, right. And it really worked over in the United Kingdom, particularly with an American in the store. And so he really expanded in the 1970s. You know, they had, a, uh, I think they had, uh, like, they were like seven, eight hundred stores. Huh. And they were bought up by, uh, you know, by another big, uh, you know, conglomerate that owns uh, multiple chains. And uh, but Woolworths for the, for the UK ever since the seventies, it's really been the place where you, where you get you buy your music, you know, uh, very much like a like a Walmart, I guess. So they're um, they're bankrupt, which is uh, culturally a a big deal here. Hmm. Well, we used to have a Woolworths uh, nearby. Uh, in at the El Cerrito Plaza, and uh, I would go there. You'd always could go there. You know that that style of store. There's also there used to be a Kresge in Berkeley or a Crest or whatever it was. I think it was Kresge, which was a deep competitor, which had the cooler stores because they had the big round glass windows and all this other stuff. Yeah, but you could go there. You could always there was just about everything you wanted. You know, if you needed glue or scotch tape or you know something, you actually it's, it's all like a, it was like a miniaturized what Target sells. Like, do you remember Zares? 
I vaguely remember Zares. I think it was like a chain on the East Coast. Yeah, it was, it was East Coast. Cause I remember when we'd go on vacation in the seventies, uh, back from Europe, uh, to the States, we'd always be excited because uh, we'd stay at, uh, in Armonk, uh, at uh, my grandparents' place. And in White Plains, they had a huge Zares. And we'd go to Zares and we'd just shop, you know, it was, it was one of the first everything there for everybody. Lose your kids for five hours. Hmm. Yeah, well, now the big box stores have taken over that business. I mean, Target is the one that fascinates me the most because I'm still reminded um, of the white front stores that used to be here, which were actually a mob, a guy who was on witness protection. And and there's always these, they always have these names. I think Conway Con is in Conway Trucking was one of these things. There's a, there's always yeah, some joke. Yeah, the name game in, sure. in the name and and Target has always been to me uh, one of those joke names. It's Target of Target, Target of what? You know, it's like a Target. And yeah. so I'm thinking, you know, and I keep going to these, and they got so many Targets. If you drive up Highway uh, up um, eighty. There's a Target store about once every every two miles off the freeway, and very high. These are high expensive real estate areas, and so you, there's a Target. That I can see one from my house, and then you go up. There's another one up in, 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 in Richmond. There's another one further up, and then there's another and another and another. There's all these Target stores. There's a whole slew of them. And you go into these stores, and they're great stores, by the way, even though everything's from China. But they have everything, and you can get anything there. They even have food now, and you can get soap, and you can get dog food, and you can get you know. Tissue and you can get scotch tape. It's just like a, a Woolworths, only they're huge. And you can get out of a Target store almost instantly. They have way too many checkers. I mean, you never wait. You go in, no matter when it is, and you rarely wait behind one person. There's always an open thing. Just you're out of there. It's amazing. It's a great store, but I don't see how they can afford to stay in business because I don't see that the traffic is that out, outrageous going in and out of there. Well, I don't know. But they I, I, have to. They, but because of places like Target, there's no more five and dime stores. Well, I do know that uh, we're trying to do business with them. I know that they're interested in uh, in working with us. Well, they do a lot of advertising. Oh hell yeah! And their advertisements are, are creative. It's a really interesting company. The other thing that they've done, which is unique, is that they've found you know all these high end designers that do this expensive stuff, and they've had them do a cheap line. Cheap, cheap, yeah, that's what H and M started that though, didn't they? I don't know. I you know I don't know the H and M story. I, I do know H and M everywhere. Yeah, H and M. I think they started with Carl Lagerfeld, who of course is. Uh, you know, massive uh, designer, and he did a whole line at uh, you know like two hundred bucks for whatever a shirt or whatever, which is incredibly cheap for a Karl Lagerfeld. And uh, there were people queued up in the morning just to get in. Anyway, Madonna did it; it wasn't successful, but they have a, they have a lot of uh, big names doing. Uh, uh, well, these fashion guys, lines for them. they do like you know a guy who's a designer of of you know one thing or another. They have them do a toaster. I mean, they got like designer design toasters and clocks and stuff like that. But uh, I anyway, I was by the way surprised. I was in Lisbon. There was an there's an H and M there. I didn't know the place was. I didn't know it was an international oh, yeah. chain. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they're everywhere. But it started in the UK. It's I think it's uh, no. Wait a minute. Yeah, Hammers and Morse. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's it's not American. That's what it stands for. Hammers and Morris, I think so, yeah. Hmm. Why? I, 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 well, the reason is because it's one of those things that kind of snuck up on me. I didn't. I was unaware of H and M until a couple years ago, and um, it was already 
make you know has already taken over the kids market. I mean, the kids. When I say kids, I mean you know college kids and high school kids and uh, anyone under twenty five. That's where they shop. Yeah. And because, you know, and you go in there, and you can see that they're oriented toward that that age group is like 18 to 26, whatever the demo is. And uh, and they have a lot of nice, stylish stuff, you know, that's that's cheap. It's really the big, cheap. The big thing here is Primart. And Primart is uh, now I'm sure it's made in uh, in uh, Asian sweatshops because the prices are just it's so incredibly cheap. It's, uh, you know, it's the price of uh, Kmart. But it's, it's, it's actually, you know, it's, it's quick knockoffs, you know, so they look at whatever's in Vogue magazine or whatever is in Glamour or Mary Claire or whatever, and then they, they whip them up, which of course I'm sure comes directly from the back door of the, 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 the factories that are making, uh, you know, the H&M stuff. Yeah. And, they, and it's like boom, 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 and they hammer out, it's the same colors, it's the same patterns, it's, you know, there's no lawsuits in fashion. No, uh, you can't for a number of reasons. You can't, yeah, you can't. So you can't um, copyright a font. So, is that uh, true? You can't copyright yeah. a font. I didn't know that. No, you can know. That's why fonts are stolen. But the, you, what you can copyright is the name of the font. Ah, okay. So if you have like a, you design a font like Hattenschreiler or one of these crazy things, or Universe, which is a U N I, or Helvetica is a classic example. Helvetica, Helvetica is yeah. the most you know the most used font in the world. And if you run into the the knockoffs of it. Because it's owned by one of the from the, one of the foundries. All the knockoffs have different names. There's like hell. I still well, my favorite one was Helves, H-E-L-V-S, uh, which I, HP used on one of their cartridges early on. Yeah. Yeah, but there's a you know otherwise they have all these. But other that's not names. a copyright of the name. It's a trademark of the name. Trademark, right? It's yeah. a trademark. Okay. And a so you can't co- you can't steal the you can steal the font, the design of Helvetica, but you can't call it Helvetica, and that's what everybody does. Funny, but anyway, the yeah, the fashion is, is. By the way, and this is like an argument that the anti-patent people have and the anti-copyright people have is that say, look, the fashion industry. If you design some fancy dress and you roll it out for twenty five thousand dollars, a couture, and then somebody else knocks it off and sells it for one hundred fifty bucks, exact same look and feel, you can't do anything about it. This is an argument. This is an argument against patents and copyrights because if you look at the picture overall, it's a highly competitive business, and people in the fashion industry, many of them, make millions of dollars. It's a very successful industry with this model of everything being stolen constantly. And, but it's not just stolen; it is a part of the entire um, infrastructure. Because if there were only designers making twenty-five thousand dollar outfits for a very small select clientele, we'd all be wearing potato sacks. And of course, or we'd be wearing very stupid, ugly clothing. So it trickles down, and it's meant to do that, you know. Yeah. And and it's a whole power structure. And and the uh, you know Elsa Clench from CNN, and uh, you know the these women like, uh, and they are predominantly women, at least who are in the on the media side of fashion. They really control what we will look like uh, in three months from now, or what we'll be wearing. And and they love that. It's it's a part of how it all works. It's uh, well, well it's, what's funny, it even goes deeper than that. People don't realize is like you know when they have, you know, there are. It's so far done, it's done so far in advance. It reminds me a lot of the semiconductor business where you have a, a really long ramp because everybody knows we're going to go to 32 nanometers. We're going to do this. And it's always done in advance because you have this, this pacing that's set by Moore's law. And with fashion, 
that you know all these like oh this is the fall this is fall colors this is the new colors we're going to have this orange and this blue that's got a this tint and that those colors are done by these you know these guys who do des- design inks and dyes six months earlier it's or, their specialty you, yeah that's what they're and, doing and they come up with these colors way in advance of the of the of the fashion season because those dyes have to go into the cloth and they have to do all so there's so there's like a real long ramp and then all of a sudden these new colors come out and everyone's all jacked up about them oh that's the new green you're wearing the old yeah. green yep. you know yep. well this the, you could have probably figured out what the new green's going to be if you were in the business because it, the things was decided like nine months earlier or a year no it's, i think it's, it's i think it's like six it's like six months Okay, it's still so, a long time. Yeah, six months. Well, they got see the problem. You, first, you got to first you got to uh, come well, up the with color the color, and then the, and then the design. The design. Well, is yeah, well, you, well, you have to come with the colors, and then you have to then you have to come up with the fabric that uses the colors. And so there's a you know there's a gap there because you got to manufacture and, and, and all usually, this fabric. Usually, the designers they get the, they step in at that part of the process. So Karl Lagerfeld, um, he'll he'll get fabric which already has you know there's a selection of colors that go with it. So they're even a step behind that. Yeah, probably. I would think so. You'd have to be. I, I, happen, to, I happen to know so. I have a wife who was involved in all this. Well, you have to. Anyway, so there's a, the ramp is large. It's long. It's not like it's a big shock that all of a sudden. I, I always get the biggest kick out of uh, you go to Europe where they're more fashion-oriented, especially with these colors, than they are in the United States. And so you'll go past the department store, and they'll have all these colors, these new colors for this, you know, season, this, you know, spring, you know, uh, 09. And so you'll see all these colors, and then... uh, and it was just they really emphasized these colors in Europe. And you come to the U.S. and every so often there was a. I remember this one. There was this crazy rust color from some years ago that was just kind of almost gaudy. It was they were pushing the heck out of it in Europe, and you could not even find this color in the United States. So we, apparently, our all our people said, "Screw it, we don't like this color. I don't care what anybody thinks." And we never got the color. It was just the funniest thing to see missing. I don't know. I got uh I got two more things. Unless you got something. No, I got nothing. You can tell. No, I like it cuz you you've been on a couple of good rants today. Yeah, well, you know, it's early. Um do you know who Buckminster Fuller is? Oh, absolutely. Everybody knows who Bucky is. Well, I'm just learning about Bucky. Uh can you give me some background on this guy? He seems highly interesting. He's very interesting. I think I've always thought he, you know, he was very popular amongst the new age nutballs. Yeah, yeah, that's and, why I like him. Exactly. <laughs> well, you, if you were actually a new age nutball, which you're not, I can assure the audience, uh, you would have known about him by now. I mean, I actually, the fact that you're so far behind on Buckminster Fuller proves and, 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 you know, with, with authority that you're not a new age nutball. Uh, but anyway, but I digress. So Buckminster Somewhat, Fuller had all yeah. these crazy ideas. He invented the geodesic dome. Right. He did experiments on himself. He did this crazy experiment about sleeping. He put himself in some isolation and decided to sleep when he felt like and found that you only needed, if you didn't have any beds or anywhere to sleep and you just conk out when you felt like and then wake up and conk out and wake up. Kind of pass out theory of... Hey, um, that's kind of how I live my life. <laughs> he says you only, it turns out you only need four hours a day. And... Wow, really? uh, after uh, I, I need a little more than that. 
And he also did a thing called the Dymaxion car, which is the one you should really look into because that's the funniest thing. But but when you look at like his Dymaxion car and all his other theories and things, I always thought he was like a crackpot. Uh, you know, yeah, he did came up with a couple of interesting ideas, but when you start look, when you start seeing how these things, in terms of aesthetics, the Dymaxion car was the ugliest, stupidest thing ever put on the road. The what was the, what was so special about it? What was the? It had, a, it had to steer from the one wheel in the back or something. It was made out of. <laughs> it was made out of uh, uh, of the kind of material that airplanes are made out of. A carbon fiber. Aluminum. No, no, we're talking about back in the 30s, stretched oh, al- aluminum. aluminum, yes. Al- yeah, aluminum. And it was just the dumbest thing, and it apparently killed somebody in New York in a freak accident, and then they, you know, they stopped making them. Or, or they, it's weird. You let, me give you, let, me, let me give you the context of how, I, how I've uh, come in contact with uh, the work of Bugminster Fuller, and I'm really interested in how he makes money, what his deal is. Is he well, he's books dead. Or, well, there you go. <laughs> He's been dead for years, as far as I know. Oh, maybe I should retract that email uh, with the interview request. That's not such a good <laughs> idea. Uh, he, uh, so, so I, Look the, him up on Wikipedia. Well, there's this, there's this piece of video where he's talking about you know 2012, which, of course, you know I'm interested in. That. Oh, God, yeah. And uh, he says this is humanity's final exam. And and what was interesting, the concepts we have to understand, uh, he said you are not actually of this era. If you cannot uh, grasp the following two concepts. He died one, in 83, by the way. Okay, so he was an early kook. So one, the concept that the sun does not set. Unless you can actually envision yourself spinning on the globe at 24,000 miles an hour and spinning past the sun, then uh, you're still living fi- in 500 years in the past. And he says the second one, and this is, this is funny, and I'm going to start using this just to piss people off. There is no up or down. There is... Out, in, and around, or through, but there's no up and down because you actually, when you go, what, when you go up in an airplane, you're actually going out of the Earth, and if you're going towards the Moon, you're going into the Moon. And I was, it was just, a, it was a concept. I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting. And then when you start thinking about it, and when you start feeling yourself being on the globe, <laughs> which is spinning around, I don't know. It's a it had an elevating effect on me, I guess. Yeah, well, apparently it did. I find the whole thing to be uh, specious, <laughs> tedious, and bullshit. Uh, Spaceship <laughs> Earth was one of the things that he, uh, you know, named, and everybody got jacked up about that. I mean, yeah, he Spaceship was Spaceship uh, Earth. I got to write this down. Is that a is that a book? Uh, what is uh, that? He, he popularized the term. This is Wikipedia. You know, I remember Spaceship Earth. Oh yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, Anyway, the geodesic domes is the main thing, and people would build these domes because they were—they're actually very good. It's a good, very strong structure, but they're the gosh awful lookingest thing. They're horrible, you know. Aesthetically, yeah. to see these domes that people it's would like build. It's like you're living in a, like you're living in Epcot. <laughs> Worse, because <laughs> like they had this, this this structure of it. The thing was just ugly. It looked like some. It's just creepy looking, and so. But people would build them because oh, it's a geodesic dome, Buckminster Fuller. Anyway, so I, you can tell I'm not a uh, particular not a fan. Not uh, a fan. You know, I no, not really. I, mean, I don't see what his contribution really was. I don't know. Well, that's why I, I asked. Well, now you know. You'll, you, but go to the Dimax. The Dimaxian is the stuff you want to look into because that's the funniest stuff. Dimaxian car. Okay, is it with an X? Dimaxian. Yeah, it's D Y M A X I O N. Okay. D Y M A X I O N. I'll definitely look into that. 
And then uh, before we leave, uh, I'll just uh, crank up the printing press one more time. Uh, interesting uh, story in the Financial Times that um, for the first time, and this is always kind of important when you look at uh, economics in the United States. I have a great picture of Rahm Emanuel here, by the way, looking really scary. Um, He's a scary guy. For the first time, the London School of Economics is almost in the majority in uh, Obama's cabinet slash buddies. Because normally it's, this is a big deal, right? It's like, what, what school? You know, of course, Bill Clinton was, uh, Oxford. So what was, uh, just read that again? Uh, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll read you the, the headline actually. London School of Economics is well represented amongst Obama's buddies. And, uh, the, the point of it is, is that, uh, you know, the, and I'm looking for the names here. Um, yeah, Peter, Peter Orzog as budget director, Pete Rouse and Mona Sutphin as senior White House staff means the London School of Economics only has two fewer graduates than Harvard in Team Obama. And it goes uh-huh. on to list, you know, only one from MIT. And it seems like a, a real, that it's, you know, like in the UK, of course, all the politicians come from what's that horrible boys' school named? Exeter. No, 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 it's in Exeter, probably. No, it's not. Ex- Is it Exeter? I think so. No, it's something else. But anyway, I just thought it Someone was interesting. Will tell us. We'll, we'll find out. Th- um, I thought it was Exeter. But anyway, the uh, yeah, no, I was looking at this, and everybody's got a PhD. It's like they all went to like Yale, and then they've got their at Harvard, but mostly Harvard is the different. I mean, what we had, yeah. you know, we had uh, the during the uh, Bush administration, everybody's a Yaley, and then uh, you know all of them's from Yale. You have to be from Yale, and then uh, this is switching over to Harvard, which I actually think is an improvement, uh, but I could be wrong, and uh, because who knows? I mean, I don't understand why we don't have more West Coast representation. There's nobody from you know Berkeley, you know, or any of these schools out here. You don't have too much Caltech, you know, represented in the government. So all these East Coast Ivy League clubby schools that you know have the same fraternities, and right. it makes you wonder. Yeah, like skull and bone shit. Yeah, uh, Eaton is the one in the. UK. Oh, Eaton. Eaton. That's it. Eaton. I'm sorry, Eaton. Yeah. I knew that. Uh, I, I, yeah, I knew it too. So, uh, oops. Well, anyway, uh, for those of you who are, are, oh, and that, that is the final thing I wanted to say. Those of you who are enjoying the change, uh, which is already taking place, we can see it, uh, perfectly. The guy in the front has changed. Everyone else in the back remains the same in the administration. Um, twice now I've noticed on, uh, both the John Stewart show, the, t- uh, the Daily Show and on, um, I saw it happen on, uh, the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Uh, he had, uh, I forget her name. She has a talk show on E. She's like a comedian. Kind of funny, tall, milfy-looking chick. No, you don't know. No, I don't uh, know. Uh, but, you know, when people pull out an obvious crowd-pleaser, you know, like uh, like the old, hey, but we got change, Obama's in, and the audience goes dead silent. There's no more cheering, there's no more laughter, there's no more, yeah, we got him, look at you, you know, we're, we're rocking and rolling, the country is back. It's not even a chuckle, John. Really? Completely, it's dying. You cannot use... Obama as a as a crowd pleaser anymore on these talk shows. That's interesting. Now I thought that was highly interesting because that shows a real change in mentality almost overnight. It doesn't take much. The American public in particular is extremely fickle and they can turn on a dime. 
I mean, that's what fed I've seen the economy do these crazy turn on a dime things. I mean, we had, I'm still stunned by this. You know, I was, uh, like I said, I was just in Portugal and the prices were, were reasonable compared to, you know, not, we haven't gotten. Well, with your American special. dollar now, which is being, uh, but that's what I'm, I'm going to say is, yeah. like, you know, we had, you know, the pound got to two bucks and the, and the weird thing was that the Canadian dollar got to a dollar, became one to one. And when this thing turned around just like a month or two ago, which I expected, it took years to get where it got, and it turns around and goes right back to 76 cents or 75 cents for the Canadian dollar. Yep. And, the, and the pound is back, was a buck 46 when I went there, which was low. It was usually a buck 55, you know, and traditionally. So it's a buck 46, which was low. Once it goes below a buck 50 to me, that's like bargain time in England. I'm thinking, this just happened overnight. I've never seen anything collapse like this. I mean, yeah. the, the gas prices, I bought gasoline for a buck 99 premium. And uh, the same thing is so the, the euro, same thing, crushed the pound, super crushed. It was two bucks. Now it's one fifty three. That's un- that's an unbelievable drop. Yeah, or in such a un- short time. Uh, actually, usually- it's. But I, I figured it out. It's the other way around. It's an unbelievable rise in the dollar because the Federal Reserve is selling gold. They're selling it like no one else's business. You know who's oh, yeah. buying it? You know who's you, buying the gold? You are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some of it. Uh, no, Iran actually just purchased $75 billion worth of gold. You know, these are, this is not just a bunch of camel jockeys out there. They know what they're doing. And I think they're incredibly smart. Oh, that means that gold is going to collapse. We only do stuff like this to screw people. Hey, 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 John, welcome to the dark side. <laughs> I'm telling you. I, I got nothing against it. If you want to sell the gold to a bunch of dumb Iranians and then pull the rug out from under them, I don't have a problem with it. It doesn't, well, you know, got nothing well, the, to do with Well, Lin- Lindsay Williams, the chaplain who, uh, who I completely base all of my predictions on just by uh, parroting him, uh, who worked for the oil companies in Alaska. This is the guy who said it's going to go to 200 and that it's going to happen now. And he was right. And, uh, What's going to go to 200? Uh, oil. It, it never it went, went to, to 200. It, no, it went close. But then he came out close. and said. Close. It got to 147. Close enough. It, it was 60 when he said it. You know, not even. It was 50 when he said it. And he, right, came well, out a, he came out a couple months ago, or a, uh, eight, six or eight weeks ago, and he said, it's going down to 50. And, of course, it's gone down to 50. And he says it's staying there a long time. And the reason why he, he claims that he actually speaks to one of these guys who, who determines this uh, he, he says because they want to bankrupt the Middle East. They want to completely bankrupt them. They're going to keep the oil at 50 bucks. They want them out of the way. They should drop it to 40. That, I mean, it's traditionally 25. Uh, I think it's become too expensive right now, just, even just to get it out of the ground costs uh, 30 or 40 bucks. Well, you know, the, you can bankrupt these guys. If you get everybody, you know, on the same page that's going to go to 200 and everybody starts banking on it and they start all these green projects and we're going to do solar and we're going to do all those other things because, you know, the cost of oil makes it profitable to do all these other alternative energy tricks, uh, usually over, you know, anytime it goes over 40, actually. And then uh, you get everybody all geared up for this stuff and you have, the, you know, Goldman Sachs come out and say, it's going to go to 200. They're amongst the group that was cheerleading. And then the thing, you know, everybody's all geared up for this $200 deal, you know, and it's already at 140 It was a setup. 
it's a setup and you're all you you're in you push all your chips to the middle of the table and then boom you pull the rug out from under and this thing falls like a rock if you take a look at the charts by the way i mean this oil pricing went straight down it wasn't like well let me hesitate here and just loop down it wasn't like a it wasn't like it was going over a cliff in a nice smooth curve it went straight down yep. with one blip but it went basically straight down and, and i love then, it how how i love it how politicians still talk about the incredible price of oil <laughs> no, they don't even notice. They keep I saying that. that. Oh, and oil is so expensive. Energy costs are very expensive. I know. Haven't they? Don't they go outside? Although I mean, it is, I... it is true that um, Shell. I just read this today. Shell had to shut down um, their Nigerian uh, liquid natural gas uh, production, which is what Europe gets almost all of their uh, energy from uh, from from Ni- the Nigerian liquid natural gas. So I th- I predict that when it comes to heating, you know, like gas heating, etc., I think it's going to skyrocket. It At least be. in Europe, it's going to go out of control. And then, of course, we have to go buy it from the Russians, which is going to be interesting. Well, I know Shell had that that advertisement. They actually had a channel on the Dish Network promoting yeah. this liquid yeah. natural gas bullshit. It's so evil. It's it's the, that's the the Dutch uh, royal family, the House of Orange, founders mm-hmm. of the Bilderberg Group. Well, yep, yep. Uh, let's end it on a high, John. Uh, the high is you can buy premium gas now for around two bucks. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. That's good. And I've, uh, now I can fly much cheaper, too. I would but, think. Uh, I don't know how yeah, it's, The weather is completely crap. Absolutely no flying. Mm. All right. Um, what's coming up this week? Anything special besides Cyber Monday? What's going on on Cyber Monday? Cyber Monday. It's the Internet's version of Black Friday. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be plugging all of our deals, all of our uh, get them cheap deals, see if we can uh, hop on the bandwagon. Hmm. Get uh, get a, a cheap deal on budget. I got a bunch of budget.com slash tech. The... Um... <laughs> I have to, uh, there's a, something I had to do. Yeah, I got to order some stuff. T-E-C-H, right? Budget.com slash T-E-C-H. Yeah, T-E-C-H. Yeah. Yeah, or go to 10% me, me, off. It's uh, MeVioOffers.com is where you can find nah, all of it. But, yeah, you can. But hook, you know, yeah, yeah, hook John up. Hook John up. I need some, you know, some action. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah I got to go do my online ordering because I think, you know, next week is probably the best, you know, after that you're never going to get Monday. That's what, that's what Cyber Monday is all about. That's the day when you get all the best deals. Now, it'll really be dependent upon what happens today on Black Friday. I mean, What do you think uh, is going to happen? Just predict it. Okay. Well, I, I have to say I've already watched some of the news and it seemed like this, this is what they were reporting on CNBC. Uh, on the West Coast, because they had reporters in the malls. Right. This is this is how crazy we are on the West Coast. Seems like everywhere. It seemed like same amount of people were showing up. But now they have to find out how the sales figures are. But on the West Coast, people were using predominantly cash on the East Coast. People using 85 percent using credit cards. Uh, We're always ahead of the game out here. So I'm I'm going to predict we will see a um, not a significant drop. I'm going to say 20 to 25 percent less than last year, which of course will be amazing because it'll be the first time in a hundred years that we've actually gone down in uh, Black Friday sales. But I think it's uh, I think it's going to be 20 to 25 percent down. I'm saying five percent down. Okay, five. Oh, interesting. And we'll find out tomorrow, but we and won't we'll talk, talk about, about it about until it. next week. Right. <laughs> All right, everybody, um, 
Coming to you from Gitmo East in the United Kingdom, I'm Adam Curry. And Gitmo West, I'm in northern Silicon Valley. I'm John C. Dvorak. We'll talk to you again next week right here on No Agenda.